to be honest, this morning didn't start off good at all. I got into it and the guy was actually racist. I asked him, was he? Then he said, I don't know, maybe. You're listening to Duluth Story Project. True stories from our community, plus the very special journey of a raccoon named Bob. All told by artists. This is Maurice's story. I'm just like, bro, what you bugging about? You know what I'm saying? He was being an asshole. I went to the store this morning to get something to drink. Anybody that know me, I talk shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just be talking shit. I don't be paying nobody, no mind. I'll be talking, but, you know, I'll be talking to myself. And um, it be out loud. I'm talking to myself when I go up to buy something and, you know, to get something from dude, and I go to pay for my drink. Now, he get mad and tell me, you might as well just leave my store. Bro, you're doing too much. You're overdoing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he said, no, because you came in here yelling and being disruptive. Well, instead of saying what you're saying, there's plenty of different ways you can say that to me. What makes you think that I'm going to give you any respect? No, that ain't how this work at all. That was literally eight o'clock this morning, like early as hell. Then I get on the bus. You know me, I'm still upset. You know what I'm saying? I'm still bringing myself down. The bus driver lady pulls up. She pulls up to the bus stop, blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm already frustrated, you know what I'm saying? She see that. Of course, I'm not going to be loud. Once I get on the bus, of course, I'm going to calm down. She's just sitting there. She doesn't even open the fucking door yet. She doesn't open the door. She just pulls up and just sits there. And basically, I'm like, bro, what is you doing? This shit is recorded. So when I get on the bus, she's like, oh, you were being loud. Bro, I haven't even got on the bus yet. Now you're finna make me mad because you finna turn this all into something that is not. I'm trying to, look, look, look. I'm tired of calling people. I'm tired of calling 1-800 numbers. I'm not going to keep calling the police. You're not, we're not getting anywhere. Not doing none of that. I swear, the only time this shit happens to me is right in the morning. It's the only time it happens. The only time I get into it with white people is in the morning. (laughs) I've never argued with an older white woman for so long in my life, ever in my life. And I ain't going to lie, I'm going to keep it 100. Older white women are, you know what I'm saying, more professional women. I'm going to keep it 100 for real. It's how you present yourself in the way she was presenting herself. But, you know, she was just an asshole. I could tell she was kind of racist, too, because of how she was looking at me. Now, I'm on a bus, you know. I stopped arguing with her, but she wanted to continue so she can get me mad and put me off the bus. So I was trying to, you know, so she was trying to put me off the bus before I can even put my card in. 
She's telling me to sit, sit. She was trying to force me to do something. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I have a choice. I can stand up or I can sit down. And so I say, that's why y'all got these bars for, for people to stand up, right? She's just trying to force me to sit down. Now, now I want to get disrespectful. You know what I'm saying? She literally goes, sit down, boy. I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> you know what? Let me get off this bus. I get off the bus because, like I said, I'm respectful. But I say you could have been anybody else. We could have been anywhere else. I would have smacked you because you told me, sit down, boy. Don't do that. I'm cool. I'm a cool person. I don't mess with nobody. I get up in the morning. I come to study and I do all my homework. I got stuff I got to do. I'm getting my GED so I can go to college so I can get a real job. It's four tests. Um, I just passed one of them, um, social studies. So now I'm working on science. I'm leaving math for the end, though. But <laughs> but today is is getting better. Hell yeah. Especially coming into an environment like this. You know, that's the type of person I am. I, I like being around good vibes. I don't like arguing with people. I mean, maybe I used to. But now it's starting to get old. The time is changing now, like, for real, for real. COVID hit, and I was in the house, and I couldn't do nothing. I stayed in this apartment through this program. I moved in, um, like, probably like two, three months before COVID hit, and... I couldn't do nothing. I, I couldn't get nothing done. All my meetings, like stuff like for my teeth and things, everything was canceled. There was nothing I could do. Everybody, all my friends was out of work. You know what I'm saying? Like we couldn't go nowhere. We couldn't do nothing. So for that to happen, that shit was crazy. Hell yeah, I felt isolated. I felt alone because... Already be alone, you know what I'm saying? When I do go hang with friends, I don't hang with multiple friends. If it's not my family, I'm hanging out with one person. I don't get friends like that. I'm a loner. But at the same time, I was, you know, I, I wasn't working. I was working temp. That's why I call it like not working because it's a temp, but it's still a job. You know, it's a job. I was doing, um, they call it True Blue now, but it used to be called Labor Ready. I was doing stuff like housekeeping, construction. So it was all over when COVID hit. I never could get unemployment because I didn't make enough money. I didn't understand that. But I'm getting older and I'm starting to understand a little how the system works with certain things. You know what I'm saying? Like, the COVID thing happened, and when I was trying to do the unemployment thing, it was as if they thought I was trying to, like, scam something. I was like, oh, my fucking God. I almost got in trouble for that type of shit. It really sucks that I couldn't do that. 
the only assistance that I had was food stamps, you know, 194. That's one person, one person household. You, you know, you should be cool with like 194. But I mean, shit, y'all give a woman $600 for her and one child. I mean, why can I get 250? You, you feel what I'm saying? But like, I, you know, I'm getting food stamps in GA, general assistance. I get $203, but out of that $203, is vended out for my rent. My rent is only 61 bucks a month. So now I'm left with like 142 You know, I still got to pay my phone bill. That's like, what, $50, $60? I'm really only left with like six, 65 bucks in food stamps. Um, I ain't going to lie, like... <laughs> I ain't even been spending my food stamps like that because I know it's going to come a time real soon. There's going to be a drought in food. So I, I've been just like letting my food stamps stack up so I can buy a whole bunch of canned foods and cases of water, all kinds of stuff. You know, COVID going to hit again. I think this time I'm going to be prepared. It's only a couple of us up here in my immediate family. Everybody else is like way out of state. And my grandmother stays in St. Paul. We be connected, my family, but we just everywhere, you know. So we not really connected like that, but we try, you know. I can't even go and see my granny for that long. When my kids, I, I was able to see them. But I wasn't, you, you know, what I'm saying, it's still limited all due to the simple fact that I'm on probation. I don't lie about my life. You know, we got into an altercation. I put my hands on her. Shit that I don't even do. You feel me? I ended up doing it because I let my anger get to me. And I ended up on probation. I had to start meeting with my therapist or whatnot. Instead of going to the DAIP classes, me and my probation officer, we made an agreement that I would just go see my therapist. That made things a lot smoother for me. I didn't have to pay fees for classes. That was good. I didn't have to risk getting COVID, you know, because in the class, you got a whole bunch of other people. And this was around the time when COVID was really getting crazy. So as far as as far as seeing my children on the days that I couldn't see them, it was always because of a COVID excuse or she be like, well, I'm doing something or, or whatever. It would just be the norm. It would just be the usual. Let's check in on the animal kingdom and see what Bob the raccoon is up to. We last left him avoiding a very scary stick, and now he is happily making his way to a very dark house. This is The Raccoons, Chapter 5, The Rat in the House. 
As Bob approached the dark house, the trash smell he'd been chasing grew stronger. It filled his nose and it filled him with a hopeful anticipation. He stopped in the front yard of the house and stood up on his hind legs. He took another sniff as he stretched up, but what he was really doing was scanning the yard for movement, for any danger. Everything seemed safe. So he moved around the side of the house, a house that was as quiet as it was dark. Behind it was an overgrown yard, and in that yard there were several garden boxes, and though they were unprotected, free of netting, they were also untended, full of weeds and thistle. Bob climbed up onto the back porch to see if he could spot a trash can. But even from this vantage point, it was hard to see past the overgrowth, so he scrambled up onto a patio table. And behold, at the end of the foot-worn path at the edge of the yard, he spied an old rusted metal can that seemed to ooze a bit at the bottom. This was it. This had to be the source of the trash smell he'd been following. He turned for a moment to peek into the house. It was difficult to see inside. His reflection met him in a cracked window. But what he could see was still. Stillness. He was curious, but the stench was too strong to ignore, and he turned and followed the rough path to his trash treasure. As he got closer, he could see that the can wasn't still like the house. It was teeming. There was life inside this trash can. Lots of it. It was certain that bugs were already eating the good bits of trash inside this can, but those bugs were probably nice and fat and ready to be eaten too. But first, Bob felt compelled to look back to the house. The still house. And now, having seen how quiet it was on the inside, it looked even more frozen in a moment. Though stillness was usually inviting for a raccoon, this house did not feel that way. But that was hardly where his attention lied. He turned back to the trash can. But now, perched on top, was a rat. A rat that had obviously seen some things in her life. And if she'd been someone's pet, they'd likely have called her Scrappy, on account that she'd eat just about anything and was quick to fight. At this moment, Scrappy was not being particularly scrappy. She was staring at the house as well. Her eyes twitched down at Bob for a moment. She wasn't going to make any trouble with Bob. In fact, they both had a brief, vague moment of recollection. Ah, yes. Bob had tossed her a cherry tomato once. She looked back to the house, and the way she was fixated on it, it made Bob wary. This rat knew something. Something about that house. Bob couldn't have known it, but she had been inside. Scrappy came upon this house over a week ago, after crawling up from a sewer grate just down the street. She was hungry. She stuck to the curb for about a block until a car had roared by and scared her into a yard. She was not very familiar with grass, and at first it was jarring, but it wasn't painful. So she continued crawling across this lawn toward the house. If the trash can had been in front of the house, she never would have gone inside, content to pick through the scraps. But as she inspected the side of this house, she came upon a small vent. She crawled inside only to find a piece of wire mesh blocking the way. But after a little bit of prodding, it folded, and the path was clear again. She made her way down a foil-lined tube that led to another obstruction. This time it was a hard metal grate, the back of a clothes dryer. Scrappy did her best to test this obstruction, but she found it to be decidedly immovable. The foil tube, on the other hand, seemed soft and pliable, and after a little chewing, she ripped her way out and onto the floor of a laundry room. This room was not as wet or dark as the sewer, but it didn't smell much better. There were piles of soiled fabrics covering the floor. The air was stale. It was actually a perfect warm place to sleep, but she was hungry. The door was open a crack, enough for her to squeeze through, and she found herself in a small kitchen. 
There were dirty dishes piled on the counters and in the sink. The trash can in the corner of the room was overflowing. It was filthy. It was perfect. She froze overwhelmed, not knowing where to inspect first. And then she heard a soft, wet groan from another part of the house. She almost ran away, but as she heard the groan again, she could tell it wasn't a menacing sound. In fact, it was desperate. Suddenly, it was as if Scrappy was possessed by the groans, which continued. She had to seek it out. Out of the kitchen, she found a dirty living room. A TV was on, muted, playing an old western. Dirty dishes sat about. An oxygen tank sat next to a worn, stained lounging chair. A TV tray held a plate and a small drinking glass, both spotted with mold. Underneath was a pillbox, the kind with seven little translucent compartments, each with its own color and letter. It was full, save for the first compartment, which read S on the red cover. A handful of pills were scattered across the floor nearby. Everything was muted slightly by dust. She crawled out and along a short, dark hallway, passing the open door of a filthy bathroom with a dripping faucet on a clogged sink. She came to the half-open door of a bedroom. The sound was coming from here. She poked her head in and was immediately locked in a gaze with a man. He had fallen out of bed, tangled in sheets. He was flaccid on the floor. Scrappy didn't have time to take in the scene, barely noticing his grotesque face. She was staring in his eyes and he into hers. His eyes had found her immediately, hopeful. The man had been expecting a visit for some time, or so he thought. He couldn't remember, or even remember if he was supposed to remember. But this was not his caretaker. Scrappy saw the hope of flash in the man's eyes before quickly giving way to confusion and then just giving up as he realized that she was not going to be able to help him. She was just a rat. And with one last gurgled breath, he died. She had come, and so had death, and they both knew it. Scrappy left the room, and she left the house. Scrappy walked away, through the yard, and promptly found the trash can, complete with a rusted hole towards the bottom. In addition to this being a most welcome and unexpected food source, she'd felt compelled to stay. She watched, and ate, and waited. One day there was a lot of activity. There were sirens and people came and went. She'd seen the man get carried out of the house and taken away. That was more than a week before this moment, but she continued waiting. As Bob looked up at Scrappy, he couldn't have known any of this, but he could tell that he did not want to go into the house. In fact, as much as it pained him, Bob did not want to go into this garbage can either. He'd been compelled to search it out, straying from his quest to find answers and to get to the big water. He'd followed its trashy smell and he'd known its potential. But now, as he stood in its shadow, he knew he couldn't have it. It wasn't that Scrappy had claimed the can. She would have happily shared it, but she had marked it, in a way. She had come, and so had death. Bob gave the can one last sniff and then moved along. He felt aimless. As he walked away, he had no idea where he was going. He only knew that he was walking away. The can sat next to a decrepit garage, which would have been easy to get inside, but Bob felt he needed to just get away. He was hungry. He felt a little hopeless as he came to an alley. But as soon as he stepped in, his woes melted away and a giddiness took over. This alley was lined with old garages in various states of decay and next to nearly all of them was a trash bin. 
He knew that at least for the night he wouldn't be hungry. He only had one decision to make now, and it was impossible to choose wrong. Which way should he go? Maurice's story continued. We're with the George Floyd thing. I ain't gonna lie. Me personally, I'm not gonna say that I don't care, but I, I don't. I don't care too much for it. Why? Because that happened to everybody every day. What is it about this man, this specific man? Oh, this happened to him in the state of Minnesota. It's been happening. You feel what I'm saying? So why did y'all all make a big deal when it happened to this one person? It didn't, you know, I didn't really care too much for that shit. To be honest, look, no disrespect to that man at all. Rest in peace to that man's soul. But I didn't really care too much for that situation because this goes on everywhere we go. Like it's not going to stop. Everybody going to keep doing the protest thing for nothing. I feel like that's just a system. It's never going to change. At the end of the day, we all still get ran by somebody. I grew up in Indiana, South Bend, Indiana, Notre Dame. I ain't going to say his name, but there was this one officer. He was funny as hell. He used to be up real early. You feel what I'm saying? He was one of them dickheads, but he was cool as hell at the same time. You always got somebody that's a dickhead, cool officer, like for real. Um, and he respected a lot of us. He didn't like things that people was doing too, though, you know, but he was um, dirty as hell. Everybody got dirt. Everybody got their own dirt. They do. You know what I'm saying? But um, I'm not finna judge no officer. I, I, you know, I, I don't got nothing against the police. I'm one of them type of people that's like, all right, you go your way, I'm going to go my way. Now, I, I've been pulled over plenty of times before. That's why I always felt like God was with me. There were times in Indiana with the police, I was like, shh. Yeah, fuck the police. But now, I don't really get messed up with that, you know? I don't worry about them. They ain't worried about me. No point of even thinking about it. I don't know. That's why I say, like, God was always with me or something. Because they never, I'm not going to say never, never say never. But I haven't yet been told to get out my car or... We got to search your stuff, anything like that. But that's why I say never say never. It only happens when you make yourself like that. You know what I'm saying? People be like, oh, we a statistic. Yeah, we a statistic. But at the same time, we not a statistic, bro. Y'all putting labels on your shit. Don't put labels on something. It's just like Black Lives Matter. How could you say that? If black lives don't matter to black lives. You know what I'm saying? Y'all still killing each other. Y'all still killing each other, bro. That's why I say I'm not with the George Floyd shit. I'm not for nothing. All that shit is just a plot, man, for like P 
people to get confused. I ain't going to stunt. I'm going to keep it 100. Everybody be like, oh, conspiracy theories. Okay. I ain't going to say too much, but I believe in conspiracy theories. I believe in it all, all of them. Because one day you got to be ready. They might come and get me. All I got to say, man, is look, let my kids be. I always tell people, let the kids be. Let the kids grow because that's the future. The reason I talk about stuff so much is because I want to run my own nonprofit organization. The youth helping youth. Instead of it being a lot of older people, I want the youth to help the youth. I ain't never had nothing against Trump. That's the funny thing. I felt like he was a a, a smart motherfucker. I ain't gonna lie. Sorry for the language. I feel like he was smart. He was more of a businessman, you know? A, a lot of people didn't look at it like that, though. But that's what he was. He was more of a businessman. He said certain things, yeah, but I always thought he was cool. And... Funny looking. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. All of them are sellouts anyway. They all ain't nothing but a bunch of voices. That's it. They faces of other voices. They will say that's a conspiracy theory, but I think it's true. Joe Biden is pretty in between. He pretty cool. You know what I'm saying? He doing the whole little Biden care like Obamacare. Damn, how much health care insurance are y'all finna keep coming out with? A lot of this don't make sense, man. But Joe Biden, you know, he's fine. I mean, I would have to get vaccinated for me to meet him. Like, to have a face-to-face, I, I'd have a conversation with him because I got questions. I'd be wanting to ask what, you know... I know he probably wouldn't even be able to answer. It's like confidential shit. I'm not getting vaccinated because even doctors are walking out of their own jobs. They're quitting their jobs because they know what the vaccine shot is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not with it. And then for them to try to make it mandatory... That's sick as hell. Like, you got to be real sick in the head. I'm not finna take no vaccine. I knew somebody that had COVID. But I wasn't in contact with them, though. I was like, I'm not trying to kick it with you, you know. My friend's grandmother passed. I had a couple of my friends that passed from that shit. Only reason why... Is because they bodies couldn't take that shit. That's why I said I'm not getting that shot because they still caught it after getting the shot. So it was like, that shit was pointless. This whole thing opened my mind up because I'm only 24 years old. I wasn't thinking out of the box how I do now. You know, um... I was still a little boy. I'd be feeling like I still am because I haven't got halfway to where I want to be. 
but I know I've grown. It really made me open my eyes. It made me want to get up and go and do something. I'm pretty sure that that happens to everybody. When the pandemic hit, shit, I couldn't leave the house. Everything was closed. Don't do nothing. It's a lot of creative things I started doing. I started writing poems. I started doing things that I don't even do. So it most definitely opened my eyes because I'm like, man, fuck this. I'll be crying one night and caught myself crying. And then I went and, and I looked in the mirror and I said, bitch ass dude, ain't the time. But it's like, men cry, you know? I had to learn that. A lot of people be like, oh, you're not tough if you do this and that. But men cry for sure. I done seen a lot of men crying. I'm talking about big, strong boys too. And it opened my eyes up a lot. A whole lot. That shit ain't a conspiracy. That's for real, for real. Duluth Story Project is a program of Zeitgeist. All stories are verbatim, faithfully told by artists, and the names have been changed. Maurice was read by Gabe Mayfield. The Raccoons is written by Robert Lee and performed by Blake Thomas. Duluth Story Project is created by Mary Fox, Dennis Johnson, Alexandra Duncan, and Robert Lee, with help from Mackenzie McCullum, Amy Demmer, Sarah Luke, Gabby Mirabito, and Ari Kilgore. Sound design, music, and audio production by Blake Thomas. This activity is made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. And from Duluth Superior Area Community Foundation, funded in part by the Anonymous Friend Fund, the Dr. and Mrs. Bernard Becker Charitable Fund, and the Living Legacy Fund, with additional support from Cartier Insurance. Thank you for listening. To make a donation and for more information, head to DuluthStoryProject.com. Well, instead of saying what you're saying, there's plenty of different ways you can say that to me. Hold up. I like that. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> you add that in there when you do a podcast. I like that. <laughs>